Hello, you are listening to the Charles Bonnet Syndrome podcast. This is episode six. My name is Shaman Foy, and I'm here with my co-host, Eva Potts. And today we are interviewing Dr. Gary Cusick. He is the leading expert in education, research, and support for Charles Bonnet Syndrome in the United States. How's everyone doing today? Good. Doing well. Thank you, Shimon. Yeah, I'm so glad we were finally able to get you on this uh, podcast. We were really looking forward to it, uh, Dr. Dr. Cusick. So you're the expert, as I said. Uh, I'll share a little bit of a story, and Eva probably has a similar story. I have a family member who has Charles Monet syndrome, and I didn't know what it was at first, like most people, probably all people. And then when I did a little bit of research, I found out about Charles Monet syndrome, and I Googled it. And when I Googled it, I actually came up on a website for Esme's Umbrella, which is a, uh, a British organization, and uh, it's founded by Judith Potts. And on there, she has contact information. And then it says down when you scroll to the bottom, it says for the U.S., it says contact Dr. Gary Cusick. So I reached out to him and he spoke to me for, for a good while and and uh, told me about uh, some some support groups that he has and some things that he's done and, and gave me some information. I'm forever grateful for that. So that's just a little bit about how I found Dr. Cusick and many other people have a similar story. So um, first of all, thank you for what you do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess we can go back a little while because I know you've worked with the blind and the visually impaired for some time now. So if you can take us back uh, some years and tell us how you got involved with uh, with that community and how you started helping helping them in the beginning. OK, um, my Ph.D. is in uh, rehabilitation psychology from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I'm a, a licensed clinical psychologist in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I worked uh, for 18 years at the Charles W. McDowell Center, which is a state rehab center that's in Louisville. Uh, nobody ever teaches a psychologist how to work with folks who are blind, so you're everybody's self-taught. Uh, while I was there, I administered intelligence, memory, personality, neuropsych assessments to folks with a variety of uh, conditions. I, I probably have as good an understanding as people with visual impairments as is possible for a sighted person. And about uh, one in three of the folks that I worked with there had Charles Bonnet syndrome. Hardly any of them would bring it up in interviews, but if they trusted me and I asked them directly, they would tell me that. Probably one of the most fun things about this is to tell people that they're not crazy. How did you find out about Charles Bonnet syndrome? Well, I had a, I'd heard about it here and there from my blind coworkers at McDowell, and uh, they just would talk about it. They didn't say much about it. They didn't seem to give it any importance at all. Uh, and then one day, this young woman comes in, and she tells me that she's seeing faces that are disfigured and, you know, dark spider webs and such in the, in the uh, corners of the room, and she was really upset by it, and I just did not know what to do with her did not know what to do for her. So I started looking. And uh, so that's that's pretty much how I got into CBS. After that, I started talking to everybody about uh, Charles Bonnet syndrome. You know, a person that cuts my hair, a person that, uh, you know, cleans my teeth, anybody that's willing to listen. Wow, so your research led you to it when, when most other people didn't even know it existed. Yeah. And uh, well, around how long ago what was that uh, when you first found out about the condition? Um, I don't, I'd like to say I've been used, I've known about it for the whole 18 years I was there, but that's not true. So I, I guess I've known it for, known about it for about eight years, I guess, and, and have been acting on it for about eight years. Um, I, I have what's called a clipping service from Google, uh, that they email me the links to the most recent research on Charles Bonnet. And I've found about 300 articles in the medical literature, most of which are Single, stub, single subject case studies. Uh, the audience for this is ophthalmologists, neuro-ophthalmologists, optometrists, and psychiatrists mostly. There really isn't any journal articles aimed at persons with Charles Bonnet or their caregivers. Okay, and one thing I think it's probably important to mention that you're not a medical doctor, you're a PhD. 
Uh, you always tell us that. <laughs> so I just wanted to tell the audience that. Right. So how, how did you how did you meet Judith Potts? Because you're actually on listed on her website and and that helps get some traffic your way to get some people some help. So how did you uh, meet her? Well, looking for information on Charles Bonet, uh, the most coherent thing I found was Esme's umbrella. And so I sent an email to uh, Judith and, you know, to talk to her and um, uh, we had a nice, nice chat. Uh, maybe a year later, my wife and I were in London and we actually got to meet her at her, at her club, which was about the most British thing I can think of to do in England. Uh, yeah, an amazing woman, uh, so much energy and so much dedication to this. Wow, that that's great. She she is very helpful, and I've reached out to her, and she responds to anybody, and she really has a heart and put, puts a lot into furthering furthering the cause and helping everyone. So I, I know that you have a support group. How long have you had that support group? Can you talk about it for a little while? I think we're I think we're going on about four years now. Um, I was talking with someone on. Um, Someone had called me about Charles Bonet. We were talking, and, and we decided that jointly that we, you know there should be some sort of support group. And at that point, um, I started uh, having a, a Zoom group, and it, the group slowly grew. Uh, and I think um, I may have talked to at least a hundred people since since then uh, about Charles Bonet. Uh, the support group is Saturdays at noon Eastern time with the first hour being for everyone, families and people with Charles Bonet as, and their caregivers. And then the second hour is just for caregivers to give them an opportunity to sort of network with each other and uh, talk about some best practices. Okay, all right. Now, one thing I think is important to say is what Charles Bonet is. We've said that in the first episode and reference it obviously in all the episodes, but uh, well, I, I'll say it again. So Charles Bonet is when someone is blind or has a visual impairment. And as a result of that, their brain fires up images or hallucinations. And these are silent hallucinations. And uh, this is usually when someone is relaxed or, 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 or sleepy, not always, uh, it's different for different people. And uh, and it's and it's a medical condition. It's not a mental condition like dementia or Parkinson's or schizophrenia. And Gary, feel free if you want to add anything to that or or, or elaborate on that. But I just wanted to say that because someone may be picking up from this episode and they may not really necessarily know what Charles Bonet is and they're just introduced to this podcast. Sure. Is there anything would you like to add to that or tell the people about what Charles Bonet is? Sure. Um... Uh, typically, we know the world from our senses. That's sort of a bottom-up process where our senses tell uh, tells our brain what's going on out there and what's happening. Uh, in this situation, it's a top-down thing. Uh, input from vision has slowed or been deteriorating or totally stopped. And as a result, the brain gets excited, as you were saying earlier, and starts to produce vision, uh, uh, visual manifestations on its own. So they're, they're hallucinations. Uh, and all a hallucination is is uh, a person's perceiving something that's not coming from their senses. That's the simplest way to describe a hallucination. So one of those things would be phantom limb pain, where you have an amputated limb and it feels like it's still present. Usually it's itching or painful. Uh, myself, I have tinnitus ringing in the ears. Now, that's a hallucination as well, because if you put your head right up next to mine, you wouldn't hear any ringing. It's, it's a hallucination of sound where there isn't any because I've lost part of my uh, hearing spectrum. Uh, now, persons who've lost sight, the visual, uh, the visual hallucinations appear even though their eyes aren't receiving images of the world. Now, that can happen with... Uh, uh, reduced vision, limited vision, loss of vision in just one eye, you know, all the way to no light perception. Uh, one of the best ways to know that what you're looking at is a hallucination is think about your remaining vision. And chances are that's not very, that's not very good in terms of visual field or in terms of clarity. 
But every time you see a Charles Binet hallucination, it will be crystal clear because it's not coming from your eyes. It's coming from your brain. Wow. And I've heard some people say in the support group that that has helped them. And they'll say, hey, this is crystal clear. So I know it's Charles Bonet. Mm-hmm. So that's what are, what are some what are some tips you can give? That's one to me. That's a tip. If you just allow someone just remind them of that, then that could be something that they can draw on. But what are some tips that you can give people with Charles Bonet to help manage their condition or or, or deal with it? OK, um, my journey in, in Charles Bonet syndrome has been all over the place. I've looked at, you know, philosophy and epistemology and biology it covers a lot of things, you know, what is the, what's real, what's not real, uh, what's a memory and what's uh, something that's going on right now. Uh, Your brain is a a meaning-making organ and it tries to make sense out of everything. So when you look up at clouds, you see bunnies and horses and stuff, even though they're not there. That's, that's very typical. in Charles Bonet, you're going to be looking at something and trying to decide why why is there a person sitting on your couch that you don't know, for instance, or several people. Um, they're uh, they're random and they change very quickly. They they come from just your visual memory, as I said. Uh, they might reflect circumstances in the person's real life, like fear, pain, anxiety. They have a first person point of view. And the person with CBS may be involved or, or only a spectator. Um, a lot of folks with Charles Bonet ascribe some sort of agenda to the people that they see or objects that they see. Uh, they can evoke emotions. Um, and uh, familiar scenes and locations are, are, are typical, as are images of people you already know. Dr. Keeson, would you, would you say that... <clears throat> memory plays a very significant role in the types of hallucinations and experiences that people with Charles Bonet have? Oh, yes. Um, the, the brain is um, supposedly has as many neurons as there are stars in the, in the universe. Uh, I'm not sure how they figured that one out. But there's, it, it's, it's, your memory is really very deep in terms of visual memory. So... Um, You'll see think, memories of, of uh, old houses, schools, cities you used to live in that, that you don't live in anymore. Uh, some people actually wake up in the morning and they think they're someone else. They have a, a, a hallucination that I guess I've called 360-degree uh, hallucination where everything all the way around them is, is, is a hallucination as opposed to being just a discrete thing in their visual field. My mother experienced that. Are you referring to when we've talked in support group, a few members have experienced, they awaken and they feel that they're not in their home, but it looks just like their home and their husband or their caretaker is there. And it sounds like them, if they have a field of vision, it looks like them, but they don't believe it's them. And that's a very, um, it's a t- that's, that's a phenomenon of the, of the Charles Bonet. Would you agree? Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think having trouble identifying a, a family member or a caregiver is that that's really there is different than Charles Bonet. Uh, at the, the boundary of Charles Bonet can be kind of hard to determine sometimes. Uh, you know, it seems very much like dreams, uh, in that the the boundary can be kind of kind of vague. Uh, there's no sound when you have a Charles Bonet hallucination. The person may be moving their mouths, but you're not hearing anything. And we've had a few folks say that they seem to be hearing someone talking, whereas I think maybe what may be really happening is their brain has decided what the person is saying, and it's come into their mind as if it really was as 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 if it really happened sometimes white noise can give people uh, a sensation that they're hearing music or voices and uh, if you look think about the demographic that's typical for Charles Bonet older folks typically have uh, 
are more likely to have a visual impairment as well as a hearing impairment. So that may not be uh, all that unusual. I think I'm referring to also, uh, my mother had the experience where she felt that we had replicated. She, she was at, in her home, but felt that it was a replicated rendition of her home. And it was very difficult to explain to her. I could walk her around, show her objects that were hers. And she would say, yeah, you duplicated that. And it, it was very difficult. And then one day she awakened and she was back to, re, you know, she was back into her home. But I've heard that from many people in our support group, not many, several. And that has got to be so unnerving. I know it's unnerving as a caretaker, but for the person that's experiencing it, that that seems almost scary, almost movie like. Yeah, it's it can be it can be very Twilight Zone. Um, a couple of the ways we've suggested that people get regrounded in where they really are would be if they have a pet, you know, call a pet to them, and if the pet comes, they're home. They're not. They're the uh, the pet doesn't exist in the hallucination, which is not to say you can't hallucinate your pet. Uh, or otherwise, uh, objects, you know, you can feel the, the headboard if you're in bed. Uh, some objects that may be particular to you, your glasses, or you know where your nightstand is and what's on your nightstand. Those are things that'll tell you that even though you can't see those or you see something in their place, you really are <clears throat> where you are because you're not going to hallucinate anything you can touch. We didn't find you until after mom had experienced that type of hallucination. And when we found you, I think she was able to explain that to you. And I'm so grateful that we found you. That was a very difficult period. And the unfortunate part is it just seems to exacerbate everyone else's belief that that person has dementia or they've gone into a mental illness and you don't snap out of it and regain your sense of self if you if it's a mental illness you you know it's um or if it's dementia you can't remember what you forgot when you have dementia and it's um it's such a such a relief that you're here in the United States that you're helping people that you're helping people cope with this. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is that a lot of people may be experiencing this with their loved one and have no clue that this is Charles Benet syndrome. There's so and we're finding that there are so many levels and and uh, almost a spectrum of hallucinations for Charles yeah. Benet syndrome. Pardon? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm reading a book on hallucinations right now, and they over and over again, the authors of the book will say that hallucination is a spectrum. Uh, people who are fully sighted, they have all their senses working just fine, can have hallucinations. Uh, probably some of the caregivers have had hallucinations before. One of the downsides of, of uh, not knowing enough about Charles Benet and medical practitioners is they tend to take that one symptom and really run with it. Uh, so they think, well, what else has a symptom of hallucinations? Well, there's dementia, and there's a couple types of dementia that have hallucinations. Uh, Lewy body dementia, Parkinson's disease can also have a visual uh, issue. As you get closer towards the end, you may also be experiencing some hallucinations with just Alzheimer's type uh, hallucinations. Right. And, and that actually did happen with my mother. And I'm very grateful you took several hours to explain to my mother what she was experiencing. It was so frightening for her. And I, I think you would agree that it's so important. And every time I get on a podcast and I'm like you, if, if something will stand still long enough, we're going to talk about Charles Benet. Uh, a person, a dog, I'll, I'll talk to anybody about Charles Benet syndrome because it's so important for the medical community to know, for the general public to know. And 
I implore every time that we get on the podcast for people to listen because people are going to their primary care physicians or their ophthalmologist and the symptoms are being ignored. They're not paid attention to. And it's so frustrating as we know from our support group members, they go to the doctor and they don't get a proper diagnosis and it's, they're throwing their hands up in the air. Now, what do I do? Where do I go to next? And that's a very frustrating roadblock for these individuals. Would you, wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Uh, uh, People have a tendency to put more faith in doctors than they do in their loved ones sometimes. And if the doctor says they're demented, well, then they're demented. Whereas I kind of think of that as a lazy diagnosis. Now, if a person has dementia, they should be having some problems with memory of various types. And folks with Charles Benet, often they don't ask about memories. They're just talking about the hallucinations and overlooking that. In, t- in terms of uh, hallucinations that may come with schizophrenia, first off, most schizophrenia hallucinations are auditory, not visual. And persons with uh, schizophrenia have a number of signs that they have schizophrenia, not just that single symptom. They'll they'll start to, um, uh, their hygiene will go down, they'll lose interest in things, they may stop talking, they may not be moving very much. So there's there's very clear ways to do that. Um, Getting back to memory, the uh, Montreal Cognitive Assessment is like a five-minute bedside assessment that doctors of any kind could use that would pretty much tell you whether or not the person has some sort of cognitive problem or not. And I would expect the people that I've worked with that I know have Charles Bonnet syndrome would come through, come through it uh, with flying colors. And we would also encourage, and I think you would agree with me, Dr. Cusick, that if you're a loved one and or a caretaker of someone with Charles Bonnet syndrome, the first thing to do is believe them. They're opening up to you. They're trusting you. They're asking you for help when they come to you and they tell you, I, I, I know I'm not crazy. I don't think I am. Of course, they're starting to believe they are because of the hallucinations. As a caretaker and a loved one, believe them and then get them to a doctor. And if that doctor won't properly acknowledge Charles Bonnet, then ask for assessments ask for them to go through the assessments of what you think it may be so that they can be eliminated and go to our Facebook page or Dr. Cusick's page or Esme's umbrella, wherever you have to go and request or download the information that you can take to a physician that explains what Charles Bonnet is and get that person properly diagnosed if possible it does have a billable code and it does exist out there so that's not an excuse any longer but wouldn't you agree dr Kiesick, that the first thing to do is believe the person yes uh many folks have a, that we've talked to tell us about going to the doctor and the doctor either ignores it um they they say, well, just go ahead and enjoy it. They say, um, you know, some things that make, that take away the validity of their experience. These folks are experiencing something that's very anxiety provoking or can be, and they're just being, you know, dis, disavowed of that. Uh, isolation at, like that uh, and loneliness can also cause hallucinations in people who are fully sighted. So, you know, if you're already, uh, seeing things as a result of Charles Bonnet syndrome, it may kick things up a little bit. And there's that grief factor as well. When someone is losing their vision or the person that you love or are caring for are changing because their vision is declining, either gradually, sometimes drastically. My mother's progression was drastic at a point. Of course, it was a, a gradual process of her losing her vision, but when it was gone, that was like a freight train glaucoma. And if you have somebody with glaucoma in your family, please have your eyes checked. And if they start hallucinating, this is definitely consider the Charles Bonnet. But yes, in our support group, we have so many people who struggle with their loved ones and caretakers understanding them. And then we have some that just have the most amazing 
caretakers. We're here for the caretakers as well. And understand the grief is something that the person who's losing vision or the person that is caring for them. I think both people are experiencing grief. And wouldn't you agree, Dr. Cusick, that understanding that the loss of anything significant and vision being one of them, it's really important to recognize that and and give that validity as well. Your independence goes away when you lose your vision. You can't drive anymore. You maybe can't walk walk around the block anymore. Uh, so you're bound to be grieving that loss. Uh, one of the things that everyone should remember about Charles Bonnet is that 100% of the people that have Charles Bonnet have a visual impairment. And most, well, I don't know about most, but many people don't even understand blindness. They'll look at a person and their eyes look okay. They're not filmed over or something like that. And they'll say, you're not blind. That doesn't have anything to do with it, what your eyes look like. Uh, so, you know, they'll do stupid things. That you, they'll move things around, they'll move the furniture around, throw things at them to prove that they're actually not blind. It, it just, it can be really crazy. Cut you out of the conversation. Uh, Christmas is coming up and they'll not include you in what's going on around them at a family gathering. Uh, also, people that have, uh, that we find with Charles Bonnet, oftentimes have not taken advantage of the services that are available to them. Every state has a service for folks who are blind. Um, the group that I worked with were working, uh, worked with people who were working age, 18 to 64. But there's another arm of the group that works with people who are elderly working in, uh, I'm sorry, elderly living in the community to help them more uh, be independent without things. They'll mark appliances and uh, they'll do cane travel training. Canes are uh, really important for folks with blindness and would also help with Charles Bonnet syndrome. And uh, some of the things that uh, that can sort of replace what they've lost, there's um, television programs that are uh, audio, uh, they have an audio feature that tells you what's happening when the characters aren't talking. There's free book service for folks with visual impairments. There's blind radio. So there's a, a lot of different ways that uh, folks who have visual impairments can also regain those skills. But it's, it's, it can be a steep climb. What's a good way for people to find out information? Should they just type in, let's say they live in Kentucky, type in Kentucky, um, I don't know, um, Foundation for the Blind or something, or Commission for the Blind, or what, what's a good way for people to find resources? Oh, great question. Uh, my agency in the 18 years that I work for changed their name three times. So uh, usually there's a blind or visually impaired words in there, and that would typically do that. Uh, those are state, federally funded programs. There are also consumer groups, uh, the uh, American Council for the Blind and the National Federation for the Blind are consumer groups that are uh, aggressive in terms of helping folks with visual impairments. Uh, there are other, other groups that are sort of semi-professional like the Lions Club and the Foundation for Fighting Blindness, which work to help people uh, regain their independence following blindness. And blindness is a really funny term also. Um, when I told folks I work for the Office for the Blind, they thought that everybody I work with was experiencing no light perception. They couldn't see a darn thing. And that was very unusual, actually, of the folks I worked with. There were a percentage that had no light perception, but most could see something. Their visual field might be reduced. It may be blurry. Um, they may have trouble with bright lights or dim situations but uh, they're not uh, what most people think of as blind. On that note, Dr. Cusick, so that the audience can understand that Shimon and I did not make this up uh, or that we discovered or that we were giving false information, anyone who has low vision or um, has no light perception, visual impairment of any type can experience Charles Bonnet at any age, any ethnic background, and any gender. It is indiscriminate. Would you agree? Absolutely. I've worked with 
um, I worked with adults, but they would tell me that their Charles Binet started when they were children. One young lady had uh, been put on antipsychotics, uh, at, you know, as a child and stayed uh, on antipsychotics all the way till the end of high school when she was able to tell people, I don't want to take these anymore. Uh, and all the damage that does to the brain unnecessarily. Well, with, with older folks, antipsychotics are more like, you're more likely to have a fall with antipsychotics because mm-hmm. they're sort of, they're very tranquilizing. And as you said earlier, I'm not, a, I'm not a medical doctor and I won't talk anybody that I work with out of their doctor's recommendations. I'll right. give them information about what their doctor's doing because, because information about the drug they're taking is very sparse a lot of times for folks who are visually impaired. You might get that little sheet that comes with your prescription, but they can't read it because they're blind. Um, so I do a lot of, a lot of patient education for that. And on that note, we should remind anyone who's listening to this podcast. And if you feel that you've determined that Charles Binet is what you might be dealing with or your loved one or someone you're caring for, don't discontinue medications without visiting the doctor. Exactly. That's, we are not here to to discourage or imply that you should stop your medications. Always speak with your medical professional, but ask questions, advocate. Be a good patient. Correct. You're going to be advocating for your loved one or for yourself um, or the person you can take care of. Shimon? Yes, that's so true. And also, as we mentioned in previous episodes, there are many things that can cause hallucinations from medicines uh, that are legal to illegal substances to conditions like Parkinson's and dementia. So definitely work with your doctor to to rule all of that out. But like Gary said, Dr. Cusick uh, mentioned that you have to have a visual impairment to have Charles Monet. That's one thing that I would like to see change. I would like to have more ophthalmologists and optometrists provide their patients with literature, especially if they have an eye disease or some kind of a serious condition, and just let them know that it is a possibility. It's on the smaller end, we think maybe 30 to 40%, but it still can affect you. Just so if something like this starts happening, they don't panic. And then I I said, well, what about people that are hypochondriacs or something? What would you do then? But I think uh, with everything, there's a risk uh, and there's, there's, uh, there's a chance you have to, you have to try something. And I think having more information than not enough can be helpful. So hopefully we can do that with your organization, uh, Eva, and, and people like Dr. Cusick helping us spread the word. Yeah, th- this is not like a, it's something that just was diagnosed yesterday. Uh, Charles Binet was a, a naturalist back in the 1700s, 1780s, and he identified it in his grandfather. So that was the first ever article. Uh, many, many years later, they decided to name this syndrome after Charles Binet, after he was dead and gone. Uh, 1967. 1967. Oh, thank you. That would be many years. That's a long stretch of time between the 1700s. You know, that's, it's a long time. It's, it's in the words of someone I was speaking to about this, my massage therapist, she said, we need to wake up. We need to wake up about Charles Binet syndrome. It blew her mind. She'd never heard of it. And you hear that a lot, don't you, Dr. Cusick? Oh, yeah. Um, I recently found a book called A Thousand Colored Castles, uh, which is like a graphic novel uh, that has as, has Charles Binet syndrome as a subject. And it doesn't hit you over the head with it. It kind of eases you into this woman's experience with uh, Charles Binet uh, in a very subtle way. My wife, who's been listening to me go on and on about Charles Binet for years, was really s- surprised by what she learned from this this book. I think it would be very good for family members to have. Um, it's on. It's available for sale, and I get no kickback from that, by the way. It's always great to know that there's something out there to help individuals learn more about it. And, you know, there are articles online. Unfortunately, many of them are written in medical ease that is a little difficult to understand. So if you're listening to this podcast and you feel that you have a loved one 
or someone you're caring for, or you yourself are experiencing Charles Benet syndrome, go on charlesbenet.com, go to CBS Awareness on Facebook, find us, our numbers are there, and we are happy to talk to you. You're always gonna be referred to Dr. Cusick and at least find out where you, you know, where you are with the situation and Dr. Cusick will tell you what your next step should be. Am I correct in that, Dr. Cusick? Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I've talked to, um, I have calls from all over, um, all over the United States primarily, but I've, I've had even one call that um, started in the United States and ended in India, where this, this fellow from India in New York wanted, me, wanted to talk to me about Charles Benet and his mother who lived in India. So it's, it should be better known than it is. Um, also, uh, this, I've taken this on as a mission for myself. I don't charge for any of this. Uh, quite a few people ask me, you know, how do we pay you for this? And the answer is, you don't pay me for this. This is just I asked you that I, question. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's just that important. Um, Oliver Sacks wrote a book on hallucinations, which I, which I would recommend to everybody. And the very first chapter was called Charles Benet Syndrome, The Silent Multitude. Now, what, she, what he's told you there is a lot of people have this, not just a couple. You know, if you take, if you say uh, 2% of the U.S. population has a visual impairment and 40% of those have Charles Benet, that's, that's a couple million people in the United States, just in the United States. And the research that they're conducting in the UK, if I'm correct, Dr. Cusick, and, and if I'm not, um, please correct me, Dominic Fitch and his research, they've established in the UK that one out of every three individuals with low vision or no light perception is experiencing Charles Benet. So that number in the US has got to be staggering. That's That was my experience, it was about one in three of the people that I asked would say they had it. Um, I know for a fact that some of the people that told me they didn't have it really did. It's, it's, it can be very fear inducing, you know, you've lost your vision. So now you've lost that much independence, that much of your ability to make choices for yourself, you know, and then if you start seeing things, then, you know, you're just, that's just one more step down the slippery slope towards becoming institutionalized. So I totally understand why people would be reluctant to tell someone that they have that they're seeing things, but it's it's about it's about blindness and visual impairment. If you don't have blindness or visual impairment, you don't have Charles Benet syndrome. Correct, and I and and I want to revisit something you said that is so important about the individual from India. This isn't just happening in the U.S., folks. This is happening globally. This is, and the sad thing is or the sad information or lack of, the only countries that we understand are even trying to do anything about this, as far as we know, are the UK, Australia, we got one Lone Ranger in Canada, and the team of people here that you're listening to, starting a uh, nonprofit to address Charles Benet syndrome. And, uh, and, it's important to know that this is a global problem. Yeah, one of the things that is so frustrating about Charles Bonnet syndrome is that plenty of doctors, plenty of good medical doctors don't even know what the condition is. So I have a loved one and uh, they have Charles Bonnet and when they're ready to share their story, I'll mention who they are, but they have Charles Bonnet. So I went to the doctor with them after I found out about Charles Monet, and I just mentioned it to the doctor without their permission. They didn't like the fact that I did that. And uh, the doctor said, you need a, first of all, the doctor said they weren't familiar with Charles Monet and they never heard of Charles Monet syndrome. But then after that, they said, you need a neuro ophthalmologist. So I said, okay, this is great. They've identified the doctor that can help my loved one. We're going to uh, get them to this doctor. So uh, my, my loved one made the appointment and I went with them, escorted them there, spoke to the doctor. The doctor said, yes, this sounds like Charles Bonet, but there's nothing I can do to make the hallucinations go away. 
And then basically the inter the 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 um, visit was pretty much over, and it was very discouraging. And they were saying, "Wow, this has been discovered for over two hundred years, uh, even longer, and most people don't know about it." And then they go to a specialist who's supposed to specialize in the mind and the eyes, and they can't even do anything about it. So it can be very discouraging uh, when you have situations like that. What I hear you say a lot of times, Doctor Cusick, is that you believe that one of the ways that people are going to have to cope with this is talk therapy. Uh, I've also heard cognitive behavioral therapy. I've also heard hypnosis, like natural things and, and a mindset shift. But I don't know if you want to speak to any of the things that, that I just said. Sure. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is actually in the medical literature as a, as a treatment for uh, Charles Binet syndrome. Um, it's the most research-supported method for counseling that, that, that there is. So it would definitely be, uh, be really good. Um, there is no medical, there is no cure for Charles Bonnet syndrome, but you can live with it much more comfortably. Some of the folks we, we've been working with for a couple of years have reduced the number of uh, hallucinations that they see each week and reduced the amount of uh, disruption in their lives that they cause. Uh, so one of the things you can do for Charles Bonnet is, aside from just um, going to a professional, which is definitely important, would be just to change the balance of power between you and your hallucinations. You know, take an active role in coping with it. Uh, learn all you can about how people with vision loss develop Charles Bonnet. Don't allow yourself to take a victim role feeling powerless to deal with the images. And any power that the, that the images have or people or whatever have is the power you give them. Uh, seek family, friends, and caregivers, support groups who take an interest in your experience rather than just uh, dismissing it to mental illness or dementia. You should take back your quality of life and relationships from before Charles Binet syndrome. And of course, as I said earlier, get services that'll help you cope with vision loss. That, that, thank you for saying all of that. One thing I think about is that you said this too, Dr. Cusick, that our whole lives, what we see is kind of seeing is believing. That's how things work. You see it, you know, you look out for things and it's real. But then when you get a visual impairment and then you develop Charles Bonnet, seeing is not necessarily believing because what you see may not be real. And if you've lived 30, 40, 50, 70 years one way, to be able to change when you get old is hard dealing with anything, but especially when you have something like this. So, uh, yeah. Absolutely. The hallucinations are uh, really amazing. They're really amazing. Uh, you could, if there was a hallucinatory person in your front room, you could walk all the way around them. If you try to touch them, your hand would go right through them. And when you tried, when your hand went through them, chances are they would disappear. That's one of the ways to cope with them. But they can also appear to move objects in your environment that are really there. Uh, mm -hmm. One of our folks says that uh, this couple comes into her room and they, you know, rearrange everything. They put pictures on different walls and rearrange where the clock is and, you know, uh, where the gigaws are and all that sort of thing. And she sees them do that. But later, after that hallucinatory couple is gone, everything's back to normal. So nothing's being moved. Nothing's being changed. It's just part of the hallucination. Uh, and so these hallucinations, uh, they walk, they talk, they probably eat. Uh, if you put food out for them, of course, it's just going to go bad. Mm -hmm. they're, not, um, they're not able to interact with the real world. They're not the real world. There's something that very much looks like the real world, but they are not. And wouldn't you agree, Dr. Cusick, and I've heard you give this advice, and I think it's wonderful advice for someone that's experiencing these hallucinations, try not to engage with them or become friends with them because you don't want to give them validity and you don't want to give them life per se. Yeah. Yes. Um, if you, it's a, it's a, slippery slope down the rabbit hole. If you start to think that they're, that they're real, you'll start coming up with a narrative about where they came from, what they're doing, what their purpose in your house is. And it just goes on from there. So if you go to talk to a psychiatrist about this, you say, well, 
I'm seeing people that aren't there. Okay, there's a hallucination. That's the first symptom of psychosis. And then the doctor says, well, how did they get in there? And now you have this story about how they got in there and what they're doing and all these other things, which sounds very much like a delusion. So now you've met the other, the other symptom that's necessary to cross the threshold into psychosis. So as a result of the, just those few things, you, know, you people get wound up being put on um, antipsychotics. The hallucinations can be fear-inducing, and they get worse if you're um, if you're scared, tired, in pain, haven't had much sleep. If you're sick, if you're lonely, all those things can make your Charles Bonnet Charles Bonnet hallucinations much worse. Yeah, and being isolated, and that includes when you say that lazy diagnosis is given, which is just breaks my heart, and and that did happen to my mother. A lazy diagnosis, she didn't have dementia. And, you know, many families think that there's no other option than to put their loved one into either a psychiatric ward or an assisted living facility. And there should, you know, there should never be shame behind if, if your loved one needs to be in that type of environment, then of course, but give this every opportunity to be explained or looked at because it is something that can be integrated and incorporated into the person's life with the patients and, you know, the ability to be patient enough for that person to get where they can understand that the hallucinations are not real. It's very difficult for them at first. Some people, as we've learned in our support group, know that they are coping with something that is going to be different and they can adjust and many of our members cannot. And I think it really, and I think Dr. Cusick, you would agree that it's based on personality type. Sometimes it's based on age uh, the fear of losing the vision, vision, like you said, it's there's a lot of fear there. And if you're a fear-based individual, those hallucin- hallucinations will be exacerbated. Right. And um, in, in terms of, we were talking about the, the continuum of hallucinations a little bit earlier. You know, we're, we're all social creatures. We need the other stimulation. There was a study in 1912 of prison psychosis where they found that prisoners who were fully sighted in solitary confinement had, quote, symptoms which included perceptual distortions and illusions, visual fantasies, often accompanied by striking visual hallucinations in multiple spheres, derealization experiences, and hyper-responsivity to external stimuli. So that's, you know, that's a little medical uh, ease for you there, but um, just... uh, Isolation, loneliness can cause hallucinations by itself in a person who's a community living elderly person. Uh, One of the presenters for our group was a a doctoral student in psychology who studied that very population, not people with with, uh, Charles Bonnet per se, but people who are cut off from not their vision, but cut off from their society. And in, the, in that case, is they would be having hallucinations of various types. So, so if you could speak to someone that has Charles Monet, first I'll, I'll say this again. I've, I've said this in the past. I was on a uh, Zoom call with Doctor Dominic Fitch. It was a group of people. It was not just me and him. And he said one third of people with Charles Monet have it, and they enjoy it. They enjoy the hallucinations they see, or they're mild, and, and it's okay. And he said another third actually don't necessarily like it, but they're able to cope once they realize that the hallucinations are are, are fake and it's Charles Monet, they're okay. And then he said one third of people, it just totally turns their life upside down. They're under stress, they have fear, and it just and those are the people that he said they're really trying to push this research for. So if there's somebody that's listening to this that has a severe case of Charles Monet, and hallucinations are kind of getting the best of them or getting them down, what would you say to them? Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was a very nice uh, synopsis of that finding. Um, people may initially be very alarmed by what they're seeing, but with some support and some education, uh, they can be 
moved into one of those other thirds where they they're they're there but they're just not as they're just as uh, distracting or as inconvenient as my tinnitus is, but not something that interferes with my life. And of course, I, like you said, I have heard, met a couple people who seem to like their their uh, hallucinations, and that's that's fine. Uh, but the most well, I guess the most important thing in my practice of psychology is for people to get where they uh, they feel comfortable and effective in their own lives and uh, moving them from where their lives are disrupted by Charles Benet's uh, hallucinations to where they can just acknowledge them and go on without, without any disruption. That's our goal. Okay. And what would you say to a caregiver? Because a caregiver can be going through a lot. It can be very difficult. Uh, so what would you say to a caregiver who's ta uh, being a caregiver for someone with Charles Benet syndrome? Maybe half of everybody I talk to when that, that calls about Charles Benet are the caregiver. And at some point in the conversation, they may put the person with that has Charles Benet on the phone. But it, it's usually the caregiver. Um, the baby boom generation would know, would remember Twilight Zone. This is very Twilight Zone. It, it's totally, totally bonkers. Why would, you know, this just sounds so divorced from reality that it must be the person's issue. Um, but, you know, remember um, uh, Judith Potts had an article called Got Visual Impairment? Think Charles Benet. I'm sorry, Got Visual Hallucinations? Think Charles Benet, if they're visually impaired. So um, it, it requires uh, support and, and education for the family members as well. And it can get to be very overwhelming where the person's saying, come in here, let me show you this thing. Come on, look at that. Can you see that? Look at that. And then they'll get in arguments about whether it's there or not. And that's that's a total, totally useless exercise. I think the most important thing is to make sure the person's safe. And that includes the caregivers. Everyone has a, everyone has a right to be safe. If the person with Charles Benet is uh, injuring others in their, in their, attempt to get rid of the hallucinations, then that has to be handled some, in some way. So um, there have been occasions when uh, medications have been necessary in those situations. Listen to the person's emotions rather than what they tell you they're seeing. If they're very anxious, deal with the anxiety. Don't argue with them about what they're seeing. You know, I, I hear you, I hear you're really upset about this. You're really, you know, you're really anxious and upset. Here, come on, come on here. Let's, let's go have, let's have some coffee and we'll, we'll talk, you know, we'll, we'll calm down a little bit. That's going to help more than anything. Definitely offering the distraction, Absolutely. which was very difficult at times. But the more that my mother understood what she was going through and and with the help of cognitive behavioral therapy actually um she and her counselor scott worked through a lot of her emotions mom was 86 years old before she sought therapy and that's a long time to push back feelings and they and they will come up and they will i believe I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical professional. I make that disclaimer all the time, but from what I experienced and what I hear in support groups is that if you're dealing with a lot of emotional baggage and you haven't put it somewhere or dealt with it, it will exacerbate the hallucinations. Yeah, and, and uh, just, um, just fear of telling people that you're visually impaired, mm -hmm. that's the first thing. If you think about um, grandma always wants you to take her to the bathroom. Now, is it because she's frail or is it because she can't find it? You know, and can't find it because she can't see it as opposed to is disoriented in terms of where she is in space. Uh, every, everybody wants to be taken seriously. And I think this, this should be taken seriously. I'm just thinking it's difficult enough to lose your vision, but then after a while or right away, depending on who you are, you develop Charles Bonnet. And it's just, it's like doubly um, 
disturbing, for lack of better words, uh, to, to have to deal with that. I was thinking about what you said, Dr. Cusick. You said if somebody's a caregiver and their loved one has Charles Monet, they may continue going to them and saying, hey, look at this. Did you see that? And that can be frustrating. But I was thinking that we, and I'm a caregiver too, have to be patient because there was someone that was in one of, one of your groups and they said um, one of the several of the things that you can do to help is to turn the lights on, turn them off, clap your hands, snap your fingers. And this particular person said, how many times am I going to have to turn my light on and off and snap my fingers, you know, particularly at night when you're trying to relax? And I felt for that person because I was thinking me as the caregiver, I could get away from the person that has Charles Vinay syndrome, whether it's going to another room or, or, or if I live in another house and I can get a good night's sleep. But that person with Charles Vinay may not be able to get a good night's sleep or their hallucinations may not go away. So they may have to try an alternative way uh, to to deal with it where maybe wear, wear face masks or maybe just say, uh, no matter what happens, I'm choosing that I'm going to lay down right now and, and I'm going to, and I'm going to take it easy <laughs> or get some rest. And that's easier said than done. That's why we always have people on this podcast that actually have Charles Monet, as well as experts like you, as well as caregivers. So we can get the full perspective because we want this podcast to help everyone. And blindness skills help a whole lot with Charles Binet images. Um, you need to do what you would normally do in your home, regardless of what it looks like. Uh, using a using a white cane is very helpful in that. Uh, some people will stop because they think they see a brick wall in the hall and they can't go any further. But if they feel for it with their cane, they'll see it, learn that it's really not there. So a, a white cane could help a whole lot with this. Don't swing it around the room though, because you hit one of your caregivers. Yes. <laughs> I've met that cane a couple of times when mom was uh, eliminating a hallucination. I, I wanted to ask Dr. Cusick, and I know more research is needed and that's our goal. Would you think, or would you recommend if somebody is dealing with a child who may be experiencing CBS that their hallucinations could be much different than significantly different than those of someone with a, you know, that's older, that has lived a longer life. So if you're, you know, from what I've understood in children, it's imaginary friends, they do see some horrific images. And for a, a parent dealing with that, trying to be supportive, don't, um, I would, I would say, would you agree? Don't put them down. Don't, um, you know, don't negate, you know, don't devalue them. That's what I've been looking for it with, you know, you, you're imagining things, you know, you, you tell your imaginary friend to go away because a child isn't going to be looking at dementia. So I guess my question is, but beating around the, the mulberry bush, what, what advice would you give to a parent who feels that their child has Charles Binet syndrome? Well, the first cut is, are they visually impaired? Um, Correct. For I worked with many people who are blind from birth. None of them have Charles Binet and they were, will never have Charles Binet because they have no visual memory to improvise on. Uh, Blind, blind brains are very different. For example, there's never been a case of a person born blind who had schizophrenia ever in the literature. So even a child needs to be validated, as you were saying, though. Um, they're, it's a, they're in a early stage in their development, and they need to feel that they have some personal effectiveness over their own life and that they have some control, even as a child. Uh, and you sort of take that away from them if you don't believe what they're saying or just tell them to quit quit talking about that. I think the thing we might be facing with the younger population, children it, of much younger age, and, and we at one time had heard that there was a seven-year-old being treated in the UK. It's very interesting how their explanation of what they're seeing is going to 
definitely be different from an older person or a baby boomer. And would, do you think it would be a little more difficult to, for that child not to be labeled with a mental illness and it, so people, doctors are so quick to give it another diagnosis without looking at Charles Binet as an, as an option, a viable option of what might be going on with an individual. Yeah, they could, they could think that they have, um, they're just incorrigible or they're um, just, just can't be handled. So it's, you know, it's just, it's important to first, first and foremost, take into consideration that the person has a visual impairment and they're seeing things. Now, what's going on there? It could be, as, as Shaman was saying earlier, it could be medications, legal or illegal. It can be a urinary tract infection. It could be a growth in their brain. It could be whole lots of things. So it's important to have that checked out by a medical professional. So you can't get away from physicians if you have Charles Binet. You really need them to eliminate anything else it might be. So process of elimination, just as with any other individual, if somebody's telling you that they're seeing something, again, I think it goes right back to Ken Ellis, who was on another podcast, believe them. That's the first thing. And then go from there and advocate for them or yourself. And it really, you really need somebody who has experience with it. I've heard so many stories about Charles Benet. I can talk to you for a few minutes and tell you whether you have Charles Benet or don't. I had a optometrist called me one time and he was telling me about what this woman was seeing and all that sort of thing and um, put her on the phone. I talked to her for a little bit and uh, it was clear that it wasn't Charles Binet that she had. She had something else. She may be seeing things as a result of Charles Binet, but there were other things happening. She had some, some serious uh, delusions as opposed to just the little... Um, overvalued beliefs that sometimes people with Charles Binet will have. That, that's, there's a, a fine, there's a distinction between those two things. Uh, give you an example. Um, around the time there were uh, anthrax scares and that sort of thing, I worked as an epidemiologist with the health department here in Louisville. And I was talking to a friend who was a veterinarian about being early sentinels because dogs are down sniffing and you know cats they're lower and to the ground are more likely to get some sort of contagion as a result and the, his uh, reaction was i wouldn't know a case of anthrax from a case of budweiser <laughs> so what he was saying there is he never sees it right. most doctors will never see charles benet in their entire careers or they may see one or two cases and not really realize what they are um, I remember taking neuropsych classes uh, as a postdoc and realizing that some of the people, institutionalized people I'd work with had a specific, uh, a specific syndrome. It wasn't, I didn't, I never really understood it, but it was a specific syndrome. So and there's so much information on this. Right. And, um, you know, I hear people say Charles Bonet syndrome and they'll, you know, they're, your doctor these days are on their laptop the whole time they're working with you. And some will go to the internet and look it up. And, you know, I really, I really think that's a wonderful thing that they're willing to say, geez, I don't know, let's take a look. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I can still think back over the 18 years I work with people with visual impairments and think, oh, they're seeing things that are, that are psychotic, but that probably wasn't what was going on. Mm -hmm. uh, it was probably Charles Binet, and I just didn't catch it because I wasn't uh, conversant with it as yet. Or informed, because as someone who has worked, you and I both have worked in the assisted living facility industry, and I can look back now and realize, yeah, so many of these individuals that I worked with, this is what we were looking at, but we were treating them for something completely different which is why it's so important for it to get out. And, you know, I, I want to thank you, Dr. Cusick. There's so much information. We're going to have to have you back on because we haven't even scratched the surface of the things that you and Shimon and, and many of the other individuals in our support group and in our community have talked about. And I see our community growing substantially 
as the word gets out, please don't hesitate to call us if you want to talk about this. And Dr. Cusick is so open. If we don't answer, we will call you back. Leave a message. Leave a message. I'm going to Pardon, sir? Leave a message, please. Yes. And I'm, I'm going to turn this back over to Shimon. Dr. Cusick, thank you so much. You are the inspiration for the nonprofit being launched very soon. And thank you for taking care of my mother and helping her regain her mental health and her value as a person because you let her know that she wasn't crazy and that it was Charles Benet. And then we were able to start helping her. And unfortunately, we just weren't able to keep her long enough for her to grow with it and, and incorporate it into her life. But I can tell you, she, she was very fortunate to find you. She felt that way and you, she took a big, deep breath after she spoke with you and finally went to sleep and got a good night's rest. Thank you for that. Oh, I'm so happy to have, uh, I retired two years ago, and I'm so happy to have this as a way of continuing to use my education and experience. Well, we really appreciate that. And uh, all of the information that we spoke about, we're going to leave in the show notes as far as emails and phone numbers. And we are also going to uh, put information in the show notes about how to join Dr. Gary Cusick's weekly support group for people with Charles Bonnet syndrome and their families, and then for caregivers that immediately follows that. Dr. Gary Cusick's phone number is 502-439-0398. Once again, that's 502-439-0398. And his email address is Gary M. Cusick at iCloud. That's G-A-R-Y-M-C-U-S-I-C-K at iCloud, I-C-L-O-U-D.com. So we are going to wrap this episode up. It was great as always. And uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks for spending this time with us today.